Good morning. There are so many things in Genesis chapter 4 that we can learn and we can glean from. It's a pretty powerful passage about the relationship of family, the relationship of an individual to his God, or individuals to God. But I've always been fascinating, fascinated by what Cain says here in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9. And simply the story we all know and we've heard so many times is, am I my brother's keeper? Now we know in the context of the story why Cain said that. He was trying to deflect off what his part was in this story. But the question still remains today. Am I my brother's keeper? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 35. Jesus uh, makes the following statements. Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to see you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. James chapter 2, if you'll flip over there with me. Another familiar passage in James chapter 2. James 2, starting in verse 14. James 2, verse 14 reads, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to, to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by, being by itself. So the question that I ask, is am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Am I my elder's keeper? Am I my deacon's keeper? And the answer is yes. Emphatically, yes. 
No getting around it. The answer is yes. The Bible says it better than I can say it. And there's not much else I can say about it. So if you would, get out your songbooks. And we're going to sing a song of invitation about this. Gene, you really think I was going to do that. Dusty's like, whoa! Jillian's probably over there. It's about time to get to Cracker Barrel anyway. We're going to talk about it. I don't like coats. I don't like them standing in front of an podium. We're going to talk about how we can be our brother's keeper, rolling up our sleeves and talking about this subject. So I'm going to ask four questions this morning, and this sermon is for me. If you get something out of it, I hope you do. Um, if I don't find the questions, then we're not going anywhere. I'm going to ask four questions, and we're going to look at some passages, and we're going to discuss this. How can we be our brother's keeper? Okay? Let's look at the first passage in, verse, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1 reads the following, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. So the first question this morning is, are you looking in your life right now, are you looking for ways to help others? Paul tells the Philippians here, to not merely look out for yourself. And I'm going to stop right there. It doesn't mean you don't look out for yourself. The Bible tells us that our bodies are a temple, physically and spiritually. We are to look out for ourselves. We are to care for ourselves. Because the book of Ecclesiastes tells us when we stand before God, He's going to bring everything to judgment, whether good or bad. And we have to stand for what we've done in this life. But Paul doesn't end there. He says, look for other people's interests. Now, how are we going to do that? Practically, how are we going to do that? Nuts and bolts. If I come to service, and I have before, so I'm speaking to myself. I come to service, the amen comes, and I'm in my car, and I'm gone away. I'm not going to know anything about, you're not going to know anything about my life. You're going to know nothing about me. Okay? That's one thing that we can do to maybe help others get to know us better. Because we always talk about we don't know each other. And the other thing Peter talks about is be quick to talk. To say what's on your mind. To talk about what's going on in your life. Brad, I had a really good day today. Right? No. Peter says be quick to listen. Listen to other people. When someone comes up to you and starts talking about you, 
You can learn a lot by listening. I can learn a lot by listening. I might have what I had going on in my day, and I might have what's going on in my day, but I don't know what's happened to you. You might have had a near accident in your life. You might be suffering from tragedy. But if I do all the talking and none of the listening, I'll never know that. So it's important that we're looking for ways to help each other. And that means actively looking. Looking is not something you can do passively. We have to be looking for ways to help others. The second passage that I want to talk about is in Hebrews chapter 13. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Let's start in verse 15. Hebrews 13. Through, um, the writer of Hebrews says, Through him, that is Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices God is pleased and that's the second thing a question I want to ask in our lives are we sharing with others are we sharing it says God's pleased <clears throat> when we share with others and sometimes in sharing it's uncomfortable it truly is uncomfortable to get to know someone and they share something intimate in their lives that's an uncomfortable feeling both on both parties the, 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 um, the classic example in my life is, as a dermatologist, people come in and they show me things on their skin that they're worried about, they're bothered about, their, their doctor has noticed, and sometimes they're not in a place they feel very, it's not something they'd really like to share uh, publicly or privately. But that's part of what I do for a living, and that's part of what I have to um, be sensitive about in both male and females is trying to help them without trying to, um, I guess what the Bible calls, uncover their nakedness, okay? And, but in that regard, I have to share with them and they have to share with me. It's the same thing in Christianity. It's dirty sometimes in our lives. Our lives are sometimes pretty messed up and we have to share with each other and that pleases God because by sharing in each other, we're going to be able to help each other. And it's super important to realize that you might not be able to share with me, that's fine, but you might have to be able to share with someone else. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But the idea of not sharing in our lives defeats the point of edifying each other in our lives. And let's move on. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. It won't be a long lesson, so you, you'll get to where you need to be. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs 19. Uh, the writer of Proverbs writes in verse 17. He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deeds. 
And it's interesting that when we start talking about our finances, you know, you know, we have, it's, there's always a stigma with it. Why do you think we put our checks in the collection plate folded or face down, right? There's a lot of reasons. Um, but it's also, it's a, a stigma to talk about money and your finances. But the Lord says here to help a poor man. Does it have to be financially? Absolutely not. You can help people in many different ways. In fact, go over to 1 John chapter 3. Let's read something here. First John 3, let's start in verse 13. First John 3 and in verse 13. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you, do not know, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We usually stop there. But let's read on. To, look at verse 17. But whoever, general, whoever, doesn't mention specific, whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him. Who does that apply to? Do we make that application to rich people only? Poor people? Middle class? Seems to say, but whoever abides or has the world's goods. Now, some people have more, some people have less. Some people um, are going, living paycheck to paycheck. And so maybe financially, you can't do something financially, but you can do good and help out others in another way. But let's say in the United States, Mitch goes to, uh, uh, where did he go, Honduras, Guatemala, um, a country in South America he went to, and he said it was a very poor. So, and the, the story always comes in this median, um, in, in, in the United States, we're all rich. So if we take that, we're all rich. Look at verse, look at Luke chapter 12. This is now Jesus speaking, Luke chapter 12. It's a passage that's always kind of haunted me a little bit in Luke chapter 12. Let's start in verse 47, Luke 12 and verse 47. It's really the last part of 48, but we're going to start here in 47. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in according with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And this is what I want to focus on. And Jesus ends this. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Now, it doesn't have to be financially, but if you've been blessed in this life, more is required of you. If you have an abundance of your life, God calls on you to share more. God calls on you to be more giving and to give back. 
So it's great that we're teaching our children. I'm teaching our children about education and about doing these wonderful things. But at the end of the day, all of this, all that what we do is to try to give glory to God. So the more successful you are, the better you are, the higher up you get, the more God's going to require of me, the more God's going to require of you. And lastly, let's go to James chapter 1, the last question. James chapter 1. I really want to focus in on this. This, to me, is the crux of the lesson. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. It's a pretty lengthy reading. James chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of man he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own art, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. Stop. James says, is about to say something that we've argued through the centuries about uh, orphans' homes, orphanages, treasury. So we all know what the passage is. To what? To visit the fatherless and the widows. Absolutely, 100%. But I... I more I've come to this passage, the more I look at my life and I said, have I been to an orphanage this month? Have I been last week? Have I been this year? Have I visited with a widow this week and this year? And I get, honestly, a lot of times slapped right in the face, and it's a big, fat no. And I continually uh, kind of go through this cycle of, needing to put my pigeonhole in those two categories. And I think those two categories are important and they're super, super important. But I guess where I'm at in my life, what is, what is James saying? What is he really saying? Is he saying pure and undefiled religion is to go to the orphanages and visit the widows? I mean, that's what it says, so maybe. But could James be saying Pure and undivide, uh, undefiled religion is to help the helpless, in quotation marks. I'm not saying widows are helpless. Please, do not, do not take that. But really, to me, that's the crux of it. You're helping someone who cannot fulfill a role. When a spouse dies, and if it's a, say, if it's a, a man dies in their house, some of the legwork in the house, some of the things that take a little bit more brute strength 
can't be accomplished. And in that way, I say helpless, okay? Same thing with an orphan who's raised without a parent. We can see that a little bit clearer. They're a little bit helpless. They need guidance. But can't we broaden that out? Do we have to just focus in on those two things? And again, those are wonderful things. But aren't there other people that are helpless? In quotation marks. Who's had cancer? Anybody had cancer in here? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer. Who's not had cancer? I've never had cancer. Don, do you know how it feels to have cancer? Do you know someone who does? That's right. And in that regard, I want to get to the crux as what I want you to take from this lesson. There are so many things in our lives that sometimes it brings us to our knees and sometimes even our faith is shaken. Have you ever been shaken to your faith? Have you ever been brought down to your knees? I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And you did. You got through it. What if someone we announced this morning, brother so-and-so was diagnosed, or brother sister-and-so was diagnosed with cancer? What do you think's going through their mind? If you've had cancer, do you know what it feels like to get that diagnosis from the doctor? I've given it a ton of times. I've told people they've had melanoma, and I've lost, I think I'm up to 36 patients in my practice in 15 years who died of melanoma. I've given the news. I've never received it. I don't know what it's like to have metastatic melanoma, that you have 12 to 15 months to live. But some of you do. So the opportunity arises. If someone's diagnosed with cancer and you've had cancer, you know where they've been, why not be what Jesus was for us, a propitiation, the big word, is a stand-in. Sometimes when people are brought to their knees, they don't even feel like praying. Have you ever felt like that in your life? I can't even pray. I'm so distraught. I'm so humbled. I'm having a hard time making it through the day. But if your sister comes to you and says, I'll pray for you. I'll be your stand-in till you get back on your feet. Does the Bible say anything about praying? Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Let's not go there. Oh, yeah, here we go. Colossians 1, verse 9. Um, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of this will, of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patienceness, joyously giving thanks to the Lord, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. 
There's going to be a time in your life where you've experienced something. It could be cancer. It could be financial ruin. It could be a death of a spouse. It could be you were raised without a father or a mother. It could be anything in your life that's a tragedy. And that's where we as Christians see that opportunity. We can go to that person and say, you know what, I don't know exactly how you're feeling, but I know how I felt when I had that. When that went to me, and I want to pray for you, I want to be there for you, I want to help you in any way that I can. And that's edification to me. Edification is not, Mitch, you had a great sermon, you did good. You deserve that silver medal at the Taekwondo. The edification is, I am hurting so bad in my life. I am in struggle. I can hardly make it through a day. And a sister comes to me and says, you can do it. I've been there. I'll help you through it. A, a brother says, you can pick yourself up. You can walk again, and I'll help you walk. That's what it means. And that's, to me, what it means when Cain asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? Absolutely we are. We are here together as a family to help each other. And although we'll stand on Judgment Day by ourselves, until the day that we die and leave this earth, we should always be striving to help someone when they're at the pits of despair, when they have the worst thorn in their flesh, I might not be able to tell you exactly how you feel, and if it's just praying for you, that's great, but if you've been there and you've been that exact same spot, you are an expert on that. If you've gone through cancer, you are an expert on cancer. I want to tell you that. Point in fact, you are an expert. You are just as knowledgeable as anybody else. Go to that person. If you see someone's going through a divorce, as miserable that is, you've been there, you go to that person and say, I can help you. I can at least pray for you. I've been there. And then, as we edify each other, we're going to glorify God. And that's the purpose of this life. So now, get out your songbooks. This lesson helped me. I don't know if it helped you, but it really helped me to realize the purpose of my life is to serve my Lord and to serve my man. So... We're going to sing, is Dusty 335? 377. I wasn't even close, so I'm glad we didn't start singing right away. Uh, 377, Lord, I believe. What do you believe in? If you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he saved you and he saved mankind, that's what he wants you to believe. That's what we want you to believe. And the Bible tells us to repent and be baptized for remission of our sins. And if you are subject to that invitation, please come forward while we stand and sing.